This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there too. Welcome to HITS radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Today I have a HITS instructor with me today. Jeff Shetler is going to talk a little bit about tracking. Over the next uh, several episodes of HITS Radio, we're going to be talking to a lot of our instructors. Gives you an idea of who's teaching at HITS every year, um, but also there'll be information on here. So Jeff will give you some great tips today. We're going to talk about tracking with multi-purpose canines. But before we get into the tracking part of it, I want to spend just a couple of minutes just getting to know Jeff. So welcome to the HITS Radio, Jeff. Hey, thanks so much. I'm super excited about this. It's a, an incredible venue, and, and I'm honored that you've asked me to do it. Absolutely. We're looking forward to having you in Chicago this year. I know you're you're real busy, so I appreciate, uh, I think you're on a uh, plane to Europe later today, so I appreciate you taking a few minutes to, to jump on and, and talk to me for a little while this morning. Um, to get started, uh, can you just tell us a little bit about Jeff Shetler, your background, and, and uh, how you ended up where you are? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I, I had no plans to actually ever be, you know, kind of a tracking guy or dude. Um, you know, I, I just kind of fell into it happenstance and, and, um, it, it took over my life and, uh, of course my, my law enforcement life. And then eventually it turned into a business. It was never, ever supposed to be where it's at. It just coalesced into that. Sure. Um, well, I started my, uh, you know, introduction into the canine world, you know, starting in my, my military time. That was back in the early 80s, so 82 to 89. Um, and I was never a handler then, but I worked with quite a few dog handlers um, throughout my time in the United States and also in Europe and in Japan. And um, I realized really, really quickly on that this is something that I wanted to do. And, and when I got out of the military in 89, um, as soon as I started looking at a law enforcement job, I knew right off the bat yeah. that that's what I was going to do. Sure. So, um, but you know, of course you, you have all these really great ideas about how things are going to happen and that you're going to become canine handler right off the bat. And, you know, once I got hit with the reality of getting into law enforcement, which was just getting hired to begin with, you know, you realize it's, it's, it's a journey. Things just don't happen overnight. Exactly. Um, but interestingly, when uh, I first started looking at the at becoming a canine handler, which was right around 1994, um, you know, I, it was because I had, I had actually seen a tracking case uh, on America's Most Wanted back in that time frame on the TV show. And it was the use of a bloodhound to track the scent of a missing girl that had actually been missing for days. Um and the bloodhound was used and some evidence was uh, developed because of it. And the, the, the girl's body was found because of it. Um, and at that time, I thought this was so amazing. You know, we've got these dogs that can do this yeah. work. Why haven't I ever heard of that? Uh, and this is what I wanted to do. Well, the interesting thing was, is that this multiple day old tracker trail issue was what got my attention. And I thought that this is something that we could do. Once I really got into the whole bloodhound world, I realized that that's not very viable. You know, <laughs> multiple deal tracks just 
really don't work. And generally, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you said that. Yeah. And generally speaking, when you find somebody at that time frame, it's not because of an old trail. It's being lucky and in the right place at the right time and tripping over the body or two, you get a great air scent and just happen into zero in on the target. But, um, I'm, I'm glad you said that, that, that case was from my area. So, um, you know, I'm familiar with it and I, I'm glad you, you put your, your twist on it. We're definitely in agreement there. Well, you know, I, I worked with the handlers involved in that case quite a bit back then. They introduced me to the whole uh-huh. world. And at the time I was a firm believer in these multiple day old tracks, you know? So, yeah. you know, as a matter of fact, my whole beginning was based on that philosophy. Um, but the reality of street life and, you know, working a dog on the street on real tracks, I quickly realized that multiple day old tracks are not going to happen. Number one. Yeah. And then number two, uh, kids stuffed in trunks and cars are not going to be able to be tracked on the freeway. Thank you. And then number three, anything over 12 hours, really honestly over six to eight hours is very improbable. Um, but what this took was actually a couple years of doing tons of casework and not having good results to come yeah. with this, this, this new philosophy. So, but that's how it started, you know. Um, so, so at that time you were a cop, where were you a cop at? Alameda, the city of Alameda, which is sandwiched between Oakland and San Francisco. Okay. You did that for a while and uh, did you work a dog there? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I did. So the way it, it all went down is I saw this America's Most Wanted thing, this TV show, and I decided, well, I'm going to get a bloodhound. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to train it and I'm going to be the next department bloodhound handler. Yeah. And the thing I didn't realize is that the state of California had never had a single purpose municipal tracking dog handler in its history. There was never anything quite like yeah. it for a bloodhound. And so what I was trying to do was brand new. It had never occurred before. Um, and so that was literally like trying to swim against the, the tide at that time. Sure. It was really difficult. So my department... Um, you know, they thanked me for my interest and all the research that I did on the project, but ultimately uh, denied the, the position. Uh, so what okay. I did is I, I started working the dog as a volunteer for other agencies in my area, you know, just on my own free time. Um, uh-huh. that, that actually worked out really well. And I ended up making some pretty high profile fines for local agencies. And my chief got wind of it and saw, you know, these cases and he, he offered me the position at that point. So it was about a year's worth of work, um, volunteer for other agencies. Yeah. And then my department picked me up full time. So I take it that kind of took off and to get you to, to hear how long were you uh, handler there with your department? Uh, until 2001. And then I was a handler, uh, with Amador County, uh, with the same dog, uh, just in, until he died actually until 2005. How'd you get to this point here then? Well, that's another journey. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I was lucky in that the vast majority of my career in law enforcement was spent being a canine handler and more importantly, very single purpose. Well, dual purpose. I did the tracking and then also human remains detection, which actually goes hand in hand with the tracking. I think it's a, a very important component. Sure. Um, so I did both those for the vast majority of my career. Uh, so I was able to really, really put a lot of concentration on it, uh, a lot of learning, a lot of education. Um, and when I got out of law enforcement, there was a demand for me to continue training because up to that point, 
I had been training various law enforcement agencies for free to start their own sure. work programs. You know, like uh, San Jose PD, I started that. San Leandro program, you know, a few others throughout the state of California. And because I was getting paid at the time, I, you know, I wasn't taking a paycheck for that. But when I got out of law enforcement, that same demand was there. And this whole business concept kind of morphed into it. Okay. Uh, and then at the same time, I also wrote my first book, which was called Red Dog Rising. It was a autobiography of my time with that first dog, Ronan. Okay. So, uh, and I'm not uh, minimizing, I know I have some, uh, um, bloodhound handlers, but uh, that are listening, but for sure, most of our handlers are going to be the multi-purpose yeah. Uh, yeah. handlers. So, how did you how did you get into that part of of the tracking part of it? Well, you know, I was kind of like the redheaded stepchild, and apologies to sure. heads out there, um, you know, in canine at the time. So it was really an uphill battle being a bloodhound handler in a Malinois German Shepherd world. Um, so at the time I got into this, I didn't have any peers per se. You know, my peers were pointiers. And, um, you know, one, one of the things I really learned early on, I would say this was within the first year of my handling career, was that all of the drama about bloodhounds being superior tracking dogs was just that drama. Sure. There was absolutely zero truth to it. Sure. Um, they didn't have any genetic uh, capabilities that were higher than another breed. And I'm sorry to my bloodhound handlers out here that are listening to that, but it, it, this was a big epiphany for me. And I think it's pretty important for most people to understand the dog is what matters. The individual dog, not the breed. It's the drive sure. or the type of sure. work. So, you, you know, I, I'll just jump in. What's funny is uh, I have some, some dear friends that for a long, longest time, uh, they were telling me that, you know, shepherds tracked and Malinois were too crazy to track. And, mm -hmm. Obviously, we know that Malinois and Dutchies and Shepherds, again, like you say, it's the dog. It doesn't matter what the, the, the breed is. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, and the thing is, is that, you know, one of the biggest things with Mal's, and, you know, I've heard the same, I'm just going to go off topic just a little bit to address what you just said. You know, Mal's are too crazy. They're too drivey to track. It's, the problem is, is they're moving so fast and they're moving thing. They're moving at kind of a different level than yeah. most other dogs. That the average handler can't read the tracking behavior. Yeah, that's the issue. Yeah, and because they can't read the tracking behavior, they have no idea whether they're on track or off track, and it doesn't really work out so well. So a big part of Malinois training is teaching the handler how to read the behavior, which is oftentimes significantly different than a lot of the other pointy-eared cousins. Out sure, there. sure. So, yeah, but th so that, that's how it started. You know, most of my peers were pointier dog handlers. And, you know, as I said, I quickly learned that, you know, the shepherds and the mouths and the duchies could do well, duchies back at that time were just kind of getting into sure. popularity. But um, I learned that these other dogs could do it really well, too. And the myths that I had heard that it can only be a bloodhound, yeah. were frankly, BS. And so I started working with a lot of local handlers from different agencies, you know, all throughout California. And I'd say probably by year two, I started training uh, a lot of local handlers uh, in a dedicated fashion for just trailing and tracking work alone, you know, the patrol. Yeah. Dog. Yeah. Um, and because of, well, the area that we're working in, which is the Oakland Bay area, uh, you know, it's a pretty hardcore place. So a lot of these tracks became 
you know, I would say the vast majority of them were felony tracks. So then we had to start addressing the whole tactical application. Sure. How do you deal sure. with that? What do you do? Yeah. Um, and, you know, my introduction to all that was, you know, almost getting shot several times and realizing very quickly that, you know, I'm, I'm, we're teaching handlers how to track, we're learning how to track, we're doing it, but we don't know how to do it safely. Sure. That, that's how that concept started. Interesting. So on that um, same note, uh, talking about tracking and, and multi-purpose handlers, this little bit off topic, but I think it's relevant. Um, like in the, the city, uh, I work a, a bomb dog now, but I worked a patrol dog for a very long time. And in our city, we're in uh, Denver, we're just such a grid mm-hmm. and we have so many cops that locking down a good type perimeter is, is easy for our city. And we have, you know, the resources and the cops are good at doing it. So uh, quite frankly, we just didn't track. We would do a yard to yard area search and it worked, it worked out really well for us. Um, but my, my friends here and all over the country that, that do track, what I see often is, uh, and you tell me if you agree or disagree, but I see on training days, they kind of either focus on their dope work, some bite and release work, maybe a few scenarios. And the tracking is um, subpar at best usually. Is that something you see a lot of times? Yeah, it was that way, you know, when I first started dealing with all the patrol dogs back, you know, in the early yeah. 80s. Um, so, so with your experience on the, you know, if you, you're working a, a dual purpose patrol dog, what type of time frame um, in a in a training day or per week or whatever? I, I you know I've talked to a lot of people about this and some of my friends up in Canada that their dog their their patrol dogs track extremely well. I know what kind of time they put into it, but how much time would you re- recommend for a, a you know a, a handler who's got to put into every week on just the tracking part of their dog? I would say you know they need to do a dedicated day a week. For just just out tracking, yeah, and then you know if you and when I say a day, that's not an eight or sure. eight hour day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you do two or three good tracks, I think you're more than sufficient. Okay, uh, but you know the big issue, as you said, is is it's it's you know putting the tracking at the end of a training day, and unfortunately, when you set up a track properly, and it should be a scenario based track, you know it takes a little time to do it to put something like that together. Um, with location and personnel and everything else, yeah. it actually becomes something a little bit more difficult from a time perspective than those other disciplines. Absolutely. So it almost has to be a dedicated day. Okay. And and on that same note of, of setting up a track and stuff, uh, I'm sure you've probably seen this. I know I've seen it a lot is um, handlers will be, will tell me these uh, outstanding tracks they did in the middle of a city, you know, over, over yards and fences and different, uh, um, surfaces, this and that. But then when I go watch him train, it's the middle of a golf course and the guy's scruffing his feet. The track layer is scruffing his feet um, yeah. for, you know, doing a very short uh, track. So certainly I think you've seen that. Um, it, it, how do you address that? And how do you, how do you get those, those handlers to kind of see they're not, that, that's not even really training in my book. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of times, you know, the reality of, of, you know, what you're deploying oftentimes is based sometimes on, you know, your perception of what it is that you did. You know, an example of that is a lot of guys say, oh, I just got done running a two mile track. But in reality, it was maybe 650 yards. So, I mean, I think a lot of times there's a little bit of exaggeration that goes into the deployment (laughs) to a certain extent. Um, And then honestly, if, you know, the only thing you're working in is a soft surface 
uh, ground disturbance environment, that's the only thing you ever do that hard surface track yard, 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 or, you know, downtown, wherever it is that you're at, yeah. or Oakland, San Francisco, honestly, that's not going to happen. Sure. Exactly. You know, the hard surface works really, really well, but you, you really have to have dedicated training to it. It's super important. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think we, we talked about this before we came on today. We're probably going to do a couple of different shows uh, uh, for just tra- tactical tracking. I, it's nothing that we can cover here in, mm-hmm. in 15, 30 minutes, you know? Yeah. So if we were going to, you know, for a first topic of, if, if I came to you and I, you know, I've been working a dog for a while and maybe done a little bit of tracking, but you and I just got to know each other. I was coming to your school. What's some of the first things that you would emphasize um, that I need to, to know or, or, you know, tell me something that is one of your, your key topics that, that you would talk about. To, to get into the tactical aspect of it? Exactly. Yeah. Well, number one, you can't run unless you can walk. You can't walk unless you can crawl. So before you actually even begin to address the tactical application, you have to have a dog that can complete the track. Okay. You know, so that's the first. And so, yeah. So, so if I came to you, you'd, you'd want to see how my dog tracks, right? Yeah. And yeah. honestly, if we can't, you know, the, one of the things I do, Jeff, is I, I, I do, and you probably heard of it, I, I do a lot of double-blind applications for our testing programs. Yes. Um, I'm a firm believer in this for all certification, actually. Absolutely. And I think it's going to be the future for canine eventually. But, you know, with tracking, all our tests are completely double-blind. So, in other words, the only person that knows where that track is or where the end of the track is is the guy who laid it, Right. Uh-huh. There, there's always a body at the end of the track in our tests. They're not tracking into a ball or a toy. It's an actual body. So, um, you know, if my basic simple test is it's a 650 meter track, uh, soft surface. So woods, grass, you know, field, whatever, it doesn't matter. Uh-huh. And one hour old uh-huh. you know, with a person at the end of the track. Now, if I can have a handler come in and do that, with absolutely no problem and be, you know, just nail that track for all he's worth. Then we can start addressing some of the tactical applications because I know the dog can finish the track. So Um, I have a question there is when the track layers lay on the track, Mm -hmm. is he walking, running? um, Is he shuffling his feet? I mean, no, just walking normally, just a normal. Okay. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, I guess he could run if he wanted to, but it's normally just walking. Okay. So, you know, that's the first thing, you know, can you do a basic track? And if you can do a basic track like that, one hour old, 650 yards, you know, and 650 yards is a little longer than some people actually think and and double blind. In other words, the trainer doesn't know and the handler doesn't know. Do that easily. Oh, and I forgot there's a time limit. You have to do it with inside 15 minutes. If, if you can do that, then we'll start addressing the officer safety part of it. And, okay. and I begin with officer safety because we actually have to start learn the dog, the, the handler has to be able to read the dog uh, in what we call the proximity alert, that they're getting close to the subject at the end of the trail, uh, because this is actually what's going to allow the tactical team to do their job. Sure. If the handler can't read that proximity alert, then it's a moot point. Um, and when I say proximity alert, a lot of people go, Oh, I always know when I'm getting close. Well, if the dog is lunging and barking, you're actually too close, too close. Yeah. Yeah. You know, our proximity alerts oftentimes start out at, you know, 200 meters or more, and then slowly increase as you get closer to the subject. 
And so the dog handler has to be able to read basically four phases of the alert. The first one we call the far alert from a distance. This is the first body language changes the dogs throws as they get a little bit of wind, but they usually uh -huh. go back to tracking. There's no direction to it. The next is what we call the near alert. And the near alert is when um, the dog is air scenting more than tracking. And there's a direction of anywhere from about 90 to 120 degrees. The third phase of the alert is what we call the triangulation alert. And this is when you go from that you know, 120, 90 degrees down to about 45 to 25 degrees. When you have that triangulating alert, this is when we have to stop and we actually have to start doing some, you know, uh, tactical containment of some sort or flanking maneuvers uh, okay. versus the dog continuing to go in. Now, the last alert, and this is something that most of them have to learn through pain and punishment, is what we call the danger close alert. And this is when you do, you get that barking and lunging. And generally speaking, what happens is the handler ends up getting shot. Um, yeah. And it's good because this is an experience you have to have. I'm, I'm a firm believer in better learning through pain and embarrassment. <laughs> and we use, uh, you know, here at our facility, um, I use all live weapon platforms. So ARs and AK-47s. And we use uh, the UTM ammunition, which is 5.56 and 7.62 ammo. Outstanding. I, I think uh, I... Did a show last week with uh, one of the hits partners, Jeff Barrett. We talked quite a bit about um, the lack of scenario-based training. So it sounds like you're definitely addressing scenario-based training, putting the handlers under stress during training. One hundred percent. You know, everything in, in our tactical classes, it's every track is scenario-based. And honestly, even just the general trailing tracking fundamentals are always based on some live tracking concept. Okay. It's never just, okay, go down here and then take a left turn yeah. behind a tree. So the handler's there and he's, he, you've, you've done the test on the, the tracking. He's showing good proficiency in the track. Uh, what's the next step you're going to do with, with that team? We're going to teach him the proximity alert. Okay. It's very, very simple. So even before we bring the team aspect of it, we have to get the dog handler to read those four levels of the alert. Sure. And, and is that something that in your experience – um, and, and I've, I've been around a lot of tracking dogs and that's not a, a common term. So is that, uh, the proximity alert and starting to teach that I imagine that's something that's kind of new to even experienced, uh, dual purpose handlers when that, when they see it, isn't it? It is. And, and see that the problem is, and this is my, my big pet peeve is, is that it shouldn't be, this is something sure. to be taught in every canine Academy before a guy goes out and does a felony track. Sure. Um, you know, the number one reason why tracking handlers and dogs are getting killed is the inability to read that alert uh -huh. because nobody ever talks about it. Sure. And more importantly, the only way anybody ever trains is to always go into the happy ending, you know, the bite, uh, yep. or the whatever it might be. Yeah. Nobody is ever teaching the dog handler to stop before the end point. Uh -huh. And it becomes a matter of muscle memory. And so... Yeah. If your muscle memory in training is to track all the way to the end end of the track, what are you going to do on a live track? Yep, that's an excellent point. Yep. So, you know, this is what has to change. You know, the, the alert has to become a fundamental concept that is taught across the board and not just by me. Okay. Yeah. It has to become yeah. the term that everybody knows about. And see, here's the thing, Jeff, is this term has actually been around since the 1960s in dog handling, yeah. you know, it was actually, yeah. it was actually introduced by the combat tracker teams in Vietnam 
in the U.S. Okay. Army. And this is actually where I learned it from. The problem is, is it's never become mainstream. It, it's starting to now. We're getting some big changes that are taking place in our canine, canine industry, and I'm loving what's happening. You know, people are working safer. We're catching a lot more people, but it has to become a term that's universal across the board, coast to coast, every department. And more importantly, I think every handler should be mandated to have this training before they actually run a felony track. And uh, yeah. Think about it. Think about this. If when you're in the academy, before you graduate, you have to learn how to serve a search warrant, right? Yeah. You have to learn how to do a felony traffic stop, correct? Correct. You have to do a domestic disturbance and do the yeah. all properly. And if you can't do it, you're no longer, you're not going to be a police yeah. officer, right? Yeah. Yeah. But yet with dog work, in particular tracking, they say, okay, well, I want you to run this track across this plowed cornfield to a Kong at the end. And now you're certified for tracking and you're going to go run a 211 robbery suspect. Yeah. Without, without learning the tactics behind it. That's crazy. Yep. I agree. And, and, uh, you know, we've never, you and I've never had this conversation before, but I think we're going to be on the same page that where you, when you're talking about proximity alert, the, you know, basically once you are close to the guy, that's when you're going to slow things down right. um, and you're going to start thinking tactics. Do we have him contained? Do we need to go in right now? Or is this a, is this now going to become a, a SWAT scenario? Is, right. it, is this a barricade? And, and what I like about what you're saying is I teach a, a tactical um, area search class. And one of the things I, I you know, that I'll, I'll end up having long discussions you usually, you know, uh, after the class with people is I just don't like this whole idea of on an area search that's not a track, your dog goes and, and starts working somebody that automatically that the guy, uh, the dog has to make contact with this person. Exactly. We don't, because now the dog's dictating our tactics. So I've, I've used the same analogy um, that you, probably what you're thinking too is that on a felony traffic stop, when we all watch the videos of, of the departments that aren't trained well and they run up and yank the guy out the window, and mm-hmm. for those, our departments that, you know, uh, that we've been trained well and we know that we're going to dictate the actions and bring the suspect back and we're going to do everything we can to keep that distance. But then those same departments that are well-trained on something like a, a felony uh, car stop, they have no problem talking about how their dogs always uh, make contact. Then they run up and they take the dog off you know, physically and the team surrounds the guy. And it's like, all you've done is remove the car, but the the uh, circus act that you're you're demonstrating to me is the same same is that unsafe yeah i like the idea what you're what you're talking about is that you know at the at the alert is when you're going to start figuring out uh what what are what are your next steps now now you know you're close to this suspect well and see this brings up the next the next phase and you know we teach the dog handlers how to become hunters you know which means low and slow you know and you take your time we never push faster than we should Um, and we're always very, very conscientious of everything that's in our area and everything that we're doing, you know, number one, you have to consider officer safety is your primary concern, but the other concern also is the safety of your citizens, right? Sure. We're here. What's what we're here for is protect the citizenry. And if you're chasing a real bad dude, right. And you get a little bit too impatient and you happen to push him out when he's still running, when he was laid down before, and next thing you know, he runs into a busload of kids and you have a hostage situation. Sure, sure. So you have to start, you have to think about many different things when you're dealing with this thing. And the 
to me, if from a felony tracking standpoint, if the dog makes contact, you actually failed. Sure. I, I understand that concept well. Dog I, I, not be making contact. If you have an armed and dangerous suspect and the dog goes in there, then you, you've actually failed. You know, sure. I believe on the other hand is if you have that proximity alert, you know, you're close, you know, you're in the area, contain the area and own the guy and then take him out out however you want later. There's no hurry. Yep. You know, if he's there, the dog's telling you is there, you own it. Exactly. And then now you're away from the dog dictating your tactics. You're, not following the dog around. And if, when the dog dictates dictate your tactics, then you put the dog at risk and everybody else with them. Exactly. Well, those are two outstanding points. I know there's a whole lot more to talk to talk to you about on just, just this one topic, I'm sure. Um, but we try to keep these shows about this length. So I think we'll wrap it up uh, there with uh, the promise to our audience that you and I are going to do several shows here in the next couple of weeks, as long as we can... Uh, Get you get you nailed down with all your traveling. I know you're you're tell me you're on your way to France today. Yeah, yeah. Let's do the next one when I'm there. I'm teaching a class, two in France and then two in Switzerland. Outstanding. So right. we will be touching base uh soon. So if you guys like this uh topic, listen for further episodes. We're gonna get a little deeper into tactical tracking and talk more about this uh proximity alert for sure, because I think that's a probably a whole show in itself just about how to uh um, enhance the dog's ability, I assume, Jeff, to, oh, yeah. to, to show well, a better, and better here, alert. Here's so. going to be the teaser for your next class. If you concentrate on this alert and you f- produce an incredible dog that can do this really, really well, it's going to enhance all your other olfactory work, such as detection, in ways you could never imagine. Outstanding. So in our next uh, next episode with Jeff, then we'll be talking just about that. and We'll get a little deeper into that. Down the road, we'll... Uh, keep talking about some tactics on tracks uh, and then also just going to teach at hits this year he's going to do the tactical uh, combat tracking with a multi-purpose canine that's one class he's also going to teach sense specific urban tracking and trailing so at uh, another show we'll be talking about that and then of course if you're interested in this topic uh come out to hits we'll be in chicago august 13th this year so you can meet jeff you can go to the classes see some videos and we have a couple other people doing some tracking stuff too so you get a lot of different perspectives on on just tracking as well as everything else so i appreciate it jeff thank you for uh, taking the time yeah and we'll be in touch uh, real soon doing some more uh, uh shows just on on tracking i'm super excited okay enjoy your trip all right thank you Hits Radio is brought to you by the professionals at Hits Training and Consulting. Don't miss out on the world's largest law enforcement canine training conference coming to the McCormick Center in Chicago, Illinois this August. Hits has the most diverse class schedule to fit your training needs. And with over 100 vendors, you'll find everything you need to gear up for your next shift. Register today and save at www.hitscanine.net.